0: Hi Church. When you hear the words Christmas or Christmas is coming, what does it make you think? What does it make you feel? Does it make you feel excited? Does it make you just want to run out of the building? Does it make you maybe feel afraid? Does it does it make you anxious? Does it make you give you that idea or understanding that Jesus came to earth and gives you some gratitude? Is it a time of emotions around, oh, holidays? Or is there an anxiety because you get to have to visit that great aunt that's just a little bit quirky? Like, what does Christmas mean to you? Today we start a brand new series, a series called Christmas is Coming, because like it or not, Christmas is coming. We can't stop it. It is a time of a year where we stop and pause and reflect on that moment that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only begotten son to live a life born into humble beginnings, not born into royalty or into riches, but born into humility, to live a life where he never once broke his relationship with God the Father. And because of that, had earned through his lifestyle, a relationship with his heavenly Father that would last for all eternity. However, he gave that for us when he took your punishment and my punishment on the cross. Now, that's something that we we love to celebrate, but when God promises to have our relationship restored with him, when he promises that one day there will be a time when there is no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, how do we know that we can trust that promise? This series, the, as we head towards Christmas, looks at how we know that we can trust the promises of God because we know that trust needs to be earned. So let's look at the Old Testament in God's Word and look at the times where he said, I will do something. And let's look at some of the New Testament where we see that God did what he said he would do. and he was faithful to his word. That he was faithful to his promises. So that when we live in today's world, knowing that Jesus has died and rose again and offered his Holy Spirit to, to believers, that when we have a promise of being reconciled with our heavenly Father, we can live knowing that that promise will take place and is true and trustworthy. This series, we look at a God that loves us. And because of his son, Jesus, he showed that love. Christmas is coming and it's going to be an exciting few weeks as we dive deeply into God's word but before we do let's pray dear heavenly father as we head towards christmas i pray that you will speak to us deeply that we there will be an excitement and an acknowledgement of what christmas means a time of the year where we celebrate the birth of love the birth of hope the birth of a future a birth of certainty a birth of comfort that is the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as Christmas comes, that there is an anticipation in us. That we can stand on your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, before we dive into Scripture, I know that for many of us, it's hard to get excited about Christmas because life is chaotic. There's chaos at the moment, we, we don't know what's happening. It's a bit stressful. We're, we're not quite sure um, what Christmas is even going to look like as far as families and gatherings, and, and life can be tough. And, and it's as if there's, there's just something just nagging behind us that we can't let go of. And I want to share a story that, that illustrates this, I believe, really, really well. I have shared it with the church before, but never um, to our online congregation. Now it was a number of years ago. Evette and I were had fairly recently been married, and Evette had had horses all her life, and and I purchased a horse so that we could go riding together. Now it was the, the horses where we kept them was on a friend's place, just out of Ballarat a little way, and and on that that little farm they had a few sheep and some chooks and a rooster and and some some animals on the farm. Now I remember one day I was I'd gone out to visit the horse, and care for the horse, horses and some of the animals, and was just about to leave the main paddock, which is next to the woodshed, which is next to the chicken coop, the chicken shed. And it was a really simple latch on this gate. It, there was nothing complicated about the gate. You know, sometimes farm gates, you've got to lift and twist and put your tongue out the right side and whistle a certain way, and then it'll open. Like They can be complicated sometimes, but this one was really simple. It was a simple latch. And I was about to undo the latch and open the gate and jump in the car and head home. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to turn around. And I don't know if I heard something. I don't know if the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. I don't know what it was. But I turned around in time to see this chook. And this chook had, not the, you'd, I know, don't know the facial expressions of chicken very well, but it gave me this evil eye, lined me up, and just made a beeline for me at full speed. And I remember seeing this chook racing towards me, uh, flapping and dust trail behind it. And I remember all of a sudden, everything in me just panicked. I'd like to think that that the bloke part of me, the masculine part of me was like, i got this, no worries. But, but every bit of confidence and strength in me was just gone. And I panicked and, and I, I sort of grabbed this latch, which is really simple, and just sort of went didn't do anything, I couldn't, my fingers weren't working, then I turned around to see this chicken launch at me, talons, you know, ready to, ready to go, and, and all I could think of doing is my arms went up like this, uh, that, that's not what you need to do, but my arms went up like this, and my foot just went uh, and I kicked this chook back down, the chook immediately turned around and got up and jumped at me again, uh, I kicked it down again, this happened about seven or eight times, every time it'd get up, I'd do it, and then I'd look at the latch, and no, no time for that, and I'd look at the latch again, no time for that, and kept kicking it down. Now, I want you to know that, that I love animals. I was out there looking after horses, trying to care for them. I'm a big animal person. I'm a sucker for any sort of pets and stuff. We have two cats, a dog, and two teenagers at home. Like, I'm, I'm all about pets. We're, we're, I'm all pro-animals. It's good stuff. And But this chicken just kept attacking me, and I thought, this is going to end badly for one of us. I need to get on the other side of this gate. How do I do that? And, and I thought, if I can just get some more space between me and this attacking chicken, then at least I could jump the gate. I can jump, the, the, get it to the other side in safety. And, and so once again, I'm, I'm, I like animals. But in this moment, in the, the adrenaline and the, the craziness of it all, I, I, I gave a good push back. Ugh. And then I put my foot back. Now I'd played AFL most of my life as a kid and a teenager and a young adult, and so I had a, an okay boot, and I got to say to my shame, I had no restraint in that moment, and the chook came at me again, and in full swing, full AFL fashion, I gave that chicken the greatest drop punt of my life. And, and as the chooken, ch- chooken? as the chook left my foot, I jumped over the gate, and I was about halfway over jumping the gate, and I hear this bang. It was, it was quite loud. I think, I don't know what that was. And I'm midair and I get over the other gate, turning around in time to, to realize that the woodshed roof actually extended over where I was a little bit. And what I'd done is instead of kicking the chicken back to give me some distance, I'd, in full power, given the chicken a, a boot into the roof that was about this high. And the chicken had hit the roof and bang. And as I turned around, there were feathers floating down and the chicken's in this sort of little huddle on the ground. The chicken stood up and shook it off and gave me that evil chicken eye again and had another go, but there was the gate in the way and couldn't get to me. Now, I say that not because of the, uh, the broken relationship between me and the chook from that point on, but I want to say that, that in life there's so often we get to a point where we have the same sort of feeling. There's something that we're trying to do, something that we're trying to achieve. We're, we're trying to, to live like Jesus. We're trying to become good disciples. And it's quite simple. Focus on Jesus. There's a latch, the, the gateway to, to where safety is, the gateway to how we are to live, the gateway to the, the things that God wants for us are really simple and they are in the person of Jesus Christ. He has done everything for us. However, there is something nipping at our heels that is distracting us. There is something that is trying to get to us and all of a sudden we turn away from what is simple and we spend all of our energy fending off this thing that just will relentlessly attack us. And I don't know what it is for you, but it may be that there is finances that are a struggle this year, or maybe it's a relationship, or maybe it's an idea of self-worth, or maybe it's an understanding of religion or the church, and it just won't let go, and it's distracting us, and it's distracting us, and it's exhausting, and you just wish you could give some distance to focus on what it is, but you just don't know how to. And today we're going to look at one of the promises that God has made, that, that shows us how to bring calm in those moments where there is chaos. And I could talk about the emotions that I had when there was that chicken. It was physical. I was fear. My heart was beating. I had to sit in the car and settle down for a moment because of a chook. Like what it did to my, my being in just that moment, it can be the same for so many of us. How do we find calm in the chaos? And to use to follow on from the last series. How do we take that deep breath and center ourselves on what God wants for us? You see, we will always have chooks. Get the metaphor. We'll always have things that are attacking us. We'll always have things that are going to try and take our focus and make us stumble. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God made the world the end of Genesis chapter 1, he made humanity. Genesis chapter 2 goes into detail about how he makes humanity, male and female. And it's a beautiful story, and they are very good. However, in Genesis chapter 3, God has a really simple rule for humanity, and we break that rule. And because we broke the rule, there is a consequence. Now, we read in Genesis chapter 3 that there is a serpent, the deceiver. There is a serpent, a snake, the devil, Satan that has tried to, to trip us up, that has tried to destroy, was jealous of our relationship with God and sought to, to break that relationship and, and in doing that damage the relationship, which he does. And because of that, God, a just God, because the consequences of the actions, passes judgment on both Satan, the serpent, the snake, and humanity. And so we read in Genesis 3, chapter 15, that I will put between uh, enmity between you and woman. Enmity means active opposition or hostility. There is an active fear. There is active aggressive hostility between the two. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, interesting in this passage, it changes from the, the woman... And the offspring and hers. There's offspring, male and female, but then it turns to a tense where it talks about He will crush your head and you will strike His heel. There's offspring, male and female, but there's also a male in this offspring of male. And we know that when Jesus enters the world, because Christmas is coming and it's worth celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ, because the new Adam. The Messiah, the one that would save, is born. The new Adam, the one that would have what Adam had, but, but wouldn't fail the way that Adam and Eve failed. The, the one that God would send his only son. The new Adam that wouldn't mess up the relationship. And because of that, he would be the one that could restore our relationship with God. And so what we see is that, that Jesus comes and he dies on the cross. He, he conquers death. He dies. He raises again, conquers death, and then ascends to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit. Now, the war has been won. The the war is over. Satan is defeated. However, there are still daily battles that take place. We read in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The the, the heel will crush Satan, the, the head, but the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And it's a. the the final words, in in the um, book of Romans, and if you know the progression of your New New Testament, it goes the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then there's the Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, what the Apostles did, and then there's the book of Romans, written to the Gentiles, that the rest of the world, not just god's chosen people but the rest of the world and so we've got jesus has lived he's died and rose again the, the church is, has started to spread through the book of acts and now we see it spread through the rest of the world through romans and in that place we see that the god of peace will soon crush satan has not been is is still active like he's the war is over that the outcome is certain He will be thrown into the fiery pit for all eternity. We know what that looks like. We know that it is done, but he is still active. He is still there. He is still trying to tempt us. He's still trying to trip us up. He's still trying to get to us in ways that will, the same way he tripped Adam and Eve at the very beginning, He's trying to trip us up in our relationship and take our focus off the simplicity of what Jesus has done and try and distract us by doing different things. So how does Satan get to us? How does he attack us? How does he trip us up? Well, partly, it's, it's sometimes we, we fall into the trap of compartmentalizing our lives. And, and we say, well, my car needs fixing. I'll take it to a mechanic. It's not a bad thing. But here, the, the analogy of compartmentalization. I, I'm really sick. I need to go to a doctor. Once again, not a bad thing. You can do that. My kids need an education, I'll take them to school. Good thing, teachers are fantastic. What about my kids need to learn about God, so I should take them to Sunday school? Is that Sunday school's job, or is that the job of parents to raise the children at the feet of their Lord and Master? I will become a good Christian by coming to church on a Sunday. Is that work? Or is that compartmentalizing way too far? Shouldn't God be a part of all that we do? Yes, some of the, the expertise around fixing cars or going to the dentist or take professionals, absolutely. You don't want me working on your teeth. Seriously, you don't want to. Like I go to the dentist all the time. I have terrible teeth. Every time I enter the dentist, they start singing, crown him with many crowns. Like it, I, am, I am not the person you want working on your teeth. That's a bad thing. But when it comes to our relationship with God, we are responsible as individuals for that. We cannot compartmentalize and say, well, this part of life I'm going to give to God, but this day I can't, I can't do that because I'm doing this, or this, this part of my life I'll let someone else sort out that part of spirituality. God is a part of everything that we are. And this is not a new idea. This is not this holistic allowing God to be a part of every element of our life is not new. We see in the New Testament they started to wrestle with that heavily. We actually read in the, the book of First John, and, and I want to say how important it is. If you don't have a study Bible, get yourselves a study Bible. It's amazing. It helps you read why the passage and the books are in the Bible, not just the books themselves, which is great, the inspired Word of God, but why is that in the Bible? What is the message of this? Why is First John? Why is it written? Who is it written to? Where is it written yeah, 1 John is, is written because people were starting to compartmentalize their lives. 1 John is not written to one location, like maybe the book of Galatians, written to the, book, the church in Galatia, or the, the church in Corinth, Corinthians. It is written to multiple churches because they're falling into this terrible trap of compartmentalizing their life, and it's actually going totally against what Christianity is all about. And we'll read multiple verses that, that will show how this thinking is in the culture at the time, and it can creep into our culture too. See, there's a word called Gnosticism or the Gnostic movement. Now, Gnosticism was this compartmentalizing mostly into two parts. And there's five things that are totally wrong with Gnosticism when you put it over Christianity that don't work at all. They, they become what we call a heresy, which is which is like, Almost like blasphemy, almost like using Jesus' name in vain, but saying this is totally opposite of what Christianity is all about. It is totally wrong and so dangerous. Heresy. It's dangerous because of five things. Firstly, the Gnostics believe that, that the body, the physical, is evil, but the spirit is good. If God is spirit and God is, is this spiritual realm and then well, the physical isn't spirit. The physical is evil and God is good, which means that, that salvation, to be saved, to, to be good, to, to be spiritually cleansed, to be spiritually good, is separate from the body. So the only way to truly be saved is, is to escape the body. And so all sorts of terrible things came because people were trying to escape the body. Rather than than being holistic, it's like, no, that's not right. The second part was, well, if God came to earth, God sent his son to earth in the form of Jesus, well, Jesus then couldn't be fully human. Jesus wasn't fully human because the, the flesh, the body, is evil. It's like, no, and once again, terribly wrong. That was number three. The fourth thing is, since the body is evil, it should be treated harshly. All kinds of abuse and terrible things started to take place through the Gnostic movement because of that. And the fifth thing that is totally wrong is that since the body is not of God's spirit, you can do whatever you want with it. All kinds of sexual immorality and all sorts of terrible things started taking place through the Gnostic movement. Because of that, because of these five terrible things, the separation, the compartmentalization of faith, the compartmentalization of, of who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. I can do him with my prayer life, but I don't need to do it with my physical life. I can I can honor God with my words and my thoughts and, and stuff, but my, my physical, my sexuality, I can do whatever I want. And they start to separate these things out and justify how it works. And so we see in 1 John <clears throat> excuse me, that he writes to these people. And the words are harsh because it's it, this is really serious stuff. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 says, Dear children, he uses the word children to say, hey, you guys got to listen. You're like baby Christians and you're being you messed up and you need to align yourself better. This is not right. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He Who does what is right is righteous, just as... Uh, That he is righteous, he being God, of course, Jesus. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. The, The reason the Son of God appears was to destroy the devil's work, to crush his head under his heel. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remained in him. You can't continue to sin with the physical if the spirit is within you. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now, let me just take a couple of steps back because you read that passage if you were to read that without the understanding of Gnosticism you'd go, but I messed up I did something wrong I, I, I forgot to honour my promise the other day I was going to do something with my kids and I got busy at work I messed up, does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, not at all what it's saying is that, that if you try and separate parts of your life and you're saying, look, I am, I'm all for you, Jesus, I'm all for you, Jesus, but I'm going to keep this bit to myself. I'm all for you, Jesus, but, I, but, but Tuesdays, I've got that thing and I just can't. Tuesdays are Tuesday, you know, I've got that thing. You know? I've, got that, I've got that secret shame. I've got that physical bit. I've got that spiritual bit. I've got that relationship. Oh, you know, and, and I can't give you everything. What this is speaking into is into those things that are intentionally separated. It's different to be saying, God, I messed up. I'm trying to do the best I can. God looks at your heart. He sees that. You're saved. It's okay. But there's a difference in saying, well, well, I'm not going to give you everything. I'm just going to give you part. That doesn't work when we've got a God that gave everything for you, everything. When he showed you what love was, that he gave his one and only son. What he asked is that we give every part of ourselves back to him who gave it all for us. We read in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since the children have flesh and blood, the, the, the body... And the blood. We we see that Jesus died on the cross and we heard just over the communion table just before that, that Jesus' body was broken, the physical, and his life force, the, the blood was poured out, the spiritual, everything that he did from from not just the, the, the blood itself, but he lived. For for you and for me. He lived the decisions that he made, his relationship with God, his relationship with others, the the way that his soul cried out in Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. Everything within him, his will, he gave for us. The the body and and the the blood, the, the, the body and the spirit, everything was given for you and for me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of he who holds power over death, that is, the devil. Hebrews, we see that that the war has been won, yet the battles still rage. See, Jesus withheld nothing. He gave every aspect of what he was for us from the way that he lived, to his spirits, to his thoughts, everything he gave for you and for me. You see, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, the consequences that we deserve because we mess up and we break our relationship with God, by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. And we know Jesus was hung on that cross for you and for me. And he who had no sin, who did no wrong, who every aspect of his physical, his social, his mental, his, his faith, everything that he did, he never messed up the relationship with God. Therefore, he was able to, to re-enter heaven with, with a pure relationship because he never once sinned. Instead, he took our curse, our consequence onto himself because of what we have done. And what we did wrong, he gave it all for you and for me. So today there's a challenge for us. And the challenge is around, well, well how do we take these compartmentalization of our life? How do we take these elements that, that can be so confusing or we, we think we're hiding them, yet God knitted us together in our mother's womb. He knows the hairs on our heads. He's, he's written us down in his ledger. He knows us in our book. He knows. You can't hide it from God. He's God. But we think we can. We think we can, oh, I'll just do the right thing on Sunday and that makes me a good person. No, that's not what makes you a good person. We've, for all have sinned. We heard it once again at communion. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet God sent his son out of love who took the consequence of our failings onto himself. What we need to do when it comes to this compartmentalization that sometimes we fall into is realize that where do we focus? How do we fix it? What do we do? Well, much like if I had focused on the latch of the gate, I would have escaped that scenario with the chicken. We need to look at the entry point for our eternity with our Heavenly Father, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. When we focus on Christ, we see how he lived physically. When we focus on Christ, we see how he lived socially. When we focus on Christ, we see how he lived financially, how he lived spiritually, how intellectually. We we see when we focus on the person of Jesus Christ, it's this simple latch that is a gift that is given from God for us to open the latch and enter our relationship. And yes, there are things that are trying to trip us up. They're trying to hurt us. They're they're biting at our heels and, and they can be distracting. But if we focus on Jesus, we can focus on the promises that God has made. And this series, we're going to look at how we can trust those promises and know that we have a focus that will last eternity when we focus on Jesus Christ. I want to challenge us today to stand on the promises of God. I want to ask, will you stand on the promises of God? Will you look to the person of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, would you examine me and see what areas I need to give to you? Will you help me to look to you to see how you lived so I can live like that? I want to be a disciple. I want to follow your ways. I want to be like you in all areas of my life. The latch is simple, it is Jesus. The entry point is simple, it is Jesus. And that's why it's worth celebrating Christmas because we look at, a, at a, a Messiah that was not born into privilege but born into humility, someone that can relate to us in all aspects of life. And that's why Christmas is so important. Christmas is coming and when we focus on Jesus we see calm in the chaos let's pray Dear heavenly father I pray that as we head towards Christmas that we would be able to find calm in the chaos, that we would be able to look to you and depend on your promises. I pray that this week as we stand on your promises, we would have the courage to say, God, would you look at me and find those areas of my life that maybe I've been holding back, those areas of my life that I am yet to give over, those areas of my life that don't look like the life of Jesus and transform me to be more like you. As we we look into Scripture, this, this series, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us as a church that you are trustworthy, that we can stand on what you said is true to be true. Therefore, we can live the way with confidence that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen.